so yeah, I, I think chess cheat, uh, chess cheating, <laughs> chess cheating. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. How chess how teaching to cheat. <laughs> new, new course, how to teach, how to cheat at chess. At chess. Back to St. Louis with another episode. You've been gone. Well, actually, you've been inactive. You've been taking care of business. I've been gone. You might say. You haven't been gone from St. Louis. <laughs> I have been gone. That's true. That's true. You've been uh, taking care of business, and you did take care of business um, at the St. Cup. And not a lot of things have happened while you were playing. So, I mean, we don't really have a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, uh, um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it'll never end now. That's, it, the it, that's the thing. It's never going to end. Yeah, that's crazy. But let's uh, start with the Singfield Cup. Uh, your uh, third victory, 2014. When was the second one? 2018, I tied with Magnus and Levon. Mm -hmm. So that was a tie. Three, oh, three that away. was a strange one when you guys split. Yeah, I don't know if, if you want to count that, but okay, we split it, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess I technically won along with Magnus and Levon. Magnus won 2013, and then he won 2018, tied, right? Mm -hmm. Levon won 2015. And then shared 2018. Maxime was the only one who won two clear. Mm. He won 2017 and 2021. And now I'm at least tied with him. Nice. Two clear and one shared. Well, he doesn't have the shared one. So I would say, same field cup wise, I think you're right now leading the pack. Let's say. Leading this very specific uh, competition. Yeah. Very. Who has won same field cup more times? No, I, my six, most successful tournament was always the uh, Dortmund tournament. Hmm. I won that 2013, 2015, 2013, 2014, 20, 2015? Mm -hmm. Maybe I won it three years in a row. I don't know. Mickey won it once, but I forget which year he won it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was probably... No, tw sorry, 2012. I didn't win in 2013. Mickey won in 2013. Then 2014, 2015, 2016. I think Maxime won it, but I'm not 100% sure. And I don't didn't play after that. And then this year I won, which nobody even... You noticed that tour. It was a no castling. It was a no castling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I don't think anybody actually counts that. Um, that yeah, was an interesting tournament. Doesn't count as a tournament. Yeah, not really. We couldn't castle, but okay, not it's, really. There was a tournament of sorts. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, variants are definitely popping up. Uh, speaking of variants, you, they just announced today. Uh, Magnus announced today a new tournament in February. But okay, we're jumping ahead. Let's talk about the Singapore Cup. How do you feel it went? Obviously, result amazing. But how would you say your progression from a tournament point of view, from a game-to-game -game point of view, went? Yeah, well, the tournament was weird because one player withdrew after the first round. So he played one game, Jan Christoph Duda, and he withdrew after his one first-round draw. Mm. Just like last year, we had a tournament with, with nine players in eight rounds. Last year, obviously, there was a more dramatic reason. There's, this year, unfortunately, it was just a health reason. So I, I don't know exactly what health reason, but it was enough. That he that young Christoph couldn't play, but it seems like I mean he was speaking online about it. Doesn't seem like it's too like life threatening or anything. Thank, mm. Thankfully, but it was enough that he couldn't play the the tournament anymore. Yeah, whatever that might be, I, I'm not sure. Uh, so yeah, the the tournament was uh, deprived of a player early on, and that led to a kind of weird situation. Um, playing eight rounds, I. I played three blacks in a row, for example. I had two rest days. These, these sorts of things were a bit weird. Uh, and I, I really wasn't expecting to like go crazy in this tournament. I, I mean, mostly I needed to not play badly yeah. for winning the Grand Chess Tour. I was just thinking, okay, 
if I don't get last place, I actually win the Grand Chess Tour. And that was my first thing. Just, okay, things worked out. Like, I, I got this game against Ali Reza where he, he was already in shaky form and he played a very risky double-edged line and he could have won the game. Uh, I mean, he got a better position. It ended up that I won the game and that really was the start. Um, yeah, the fried liver. He, uh, he got a decent position, but I wouldn't say he could have won the game necessarily. No, no right? I mean, he I mean, could he, have, let's say, things had gone advantage. Yeah, things had gone well. I mean, yeah. he, he was not hugely better. He was somewhat better. Yeah. But he wasn't winning by any means. And those are such difficult positions to handle, right? Practically. I mean, I was watching it and analyzing it and I did a video on, on the channel um, analyzing it with the engine and it was just like swinging back and forth every single move. Yeah. Very, very difficult positions to handle. A lot of compensation for Black in that one. But, I mean, obviously, you probably got some flashbacks from Norway uh, when you saw what, what he did. Uh, what was yeah, your initial slightly. reaction? I, I mean, the the main thing is that... Were you happy to see it? I can't say I was happy. I didn't expect it whatsoever. Yeah. And the main thing is that when something happens twice, you look like an idiot. Right. Like the first time, of <laughs> course, I looked like an idiot That's because I, I lost from the opening against Hikaru. I didn't know the line at all. Um, well, I knew the line, but I just mixed things up. But the second time, it just feels like negligence if you lose the same way. So you feel like, like you're really an idiot. Like people are going to say, oh, he doesn't even work on this line after, after he lost against it in that critical game. So I did have that, there is that like feeling which gets in your head that, okay, it's one thing to lose, but it's another thing to look stupid. So yeah. You really don't want to look stupid. So I had those thoughts during the game, but I felt relatively relaxed, even when I knew that I didn't know the line very well, um, or at least I didn't remember the details. I, I, of course, had the correct path to equality for black. I had it all in my analysis. I just didn't remember whatsoever. Mm. So um, rook b8 was a dubious move. Right. And I think the best move was queen c5 or something like that. Um, uh, no, I mean, the best way to play is a5 and then rook f7. And then no, for a white after rook b8. Oh, after rook b8, yeah, I actually was worried about queen c5. Queen c5 but I thought right. that I would chase his queen around with rook f7 followed by bishop f8. And I thought it was okay. It's, it's kind of dubious, but it's not easy. And it's not fully okay for black. But it isn't terrible either, so... That was really an important game. And then I actually was preparing for Wesley like three days because <laughs> I had these like all these black games and I had two rest days. I was preparing for Wesley like crazy. And yeah, I was actually trying to get you to do a podcast and you were like, yeah, yeah, we'll do a podcast. And then you dished me. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't even mean to. It was just that we were really working quite yeah, a lot yeah. for that game. And uh Okay, I, uh, he just blundered in the opening. Like, I, I didn't even expect the line he played, so I was kind of expecting other things from Wesley. But he played this line, and he didn't know it well, and he was lost from the opening. I mean, I've never had this happen against Wesley. Even for, for I can say, the last time I got an advantage against Wesley in the opening, when was it? 2018? I don't know. Yeah, it's not been, with me. Uh, not, uh, we, we prepared against Wesley quite a few times, and we never got an advantage. It's been years. Yeah. It's been years. I, I I can't think of a game. I mean, it's so difficult because the guy is so well prepared. Okay, I'm speaking of classical chess. Rapid yeah. chess, of course, things happen. It's a different thing. Blitz chess, things happen. But classical chess against Wesley, I always considered him like like the rock. I, of course, if I want to draw, yeah. I'll get it uh, with the white pieces against yeah. him. But to actually prove an advantage, so difficult. And he just had a nervous day or something. Just things didn't work out. Almost felt like it, right? I mean... Him being lost at move 10 or whatnot, 
um, after B6 is almost gone. Yeah, I mean, you played it's perfectly really after that. It's really bad. Yeah, I played my first 100% accuracy. Yeah. <laughs> two, two in a row also two in a row well really? i drew on each from ah okay yeah it doesn't yeah. count of course but yeah i've never played a game where i i didn't even make like an inaccuracy it was um it was quite funny because of course this was during the whole everyone's talking about cheating and yeah um and meanwhile i play 100 percent accuracy game i thought it was quite funny i always thought about like making a tweet about it but then i was like no i'm gonna jinx myself for the end of the tournament so i decided not to yeah it's funny because um it was a Tuesday and we had training at the university and I gave that position to my students and none of them could handle it perfectly. Like all, all of the best moves in the position because you had so many options to get an advantage mm -hmm. actually. But this was just the perfect way to get something over like three, three plus advantage and everything has, was around one and a half or something like that. Like you still had to work for it. But after this, Bishop F7, Queen C7, everything, bang, 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 it was just over. Yeah, this um, is the interesting thing, because when we give exercises, usually the exercise is you have one path towards a win, or at least one like clear path. Yeah. Like There's one solution. So if you gave a position to, like let's say you're, you're working with strong grandmasters, yeah. and you give them a position where there's like five different solutions, their natural inclination will be to tell you, like, okay, this is good, I don't even have to think about the position. This is good, that's good. But in an actual game, there are better ways to win and worse ways to try to win. So, like, let's say if, if I can win a queen, mm -hmm. I'm 100% guaranteed to win. Yeah. If I only win a pawn and go into a technical endgame, maybe my chance is 90%, but it's not 100%. So I'm leaving some equity on the table. So although we would probably reject this as a puzzle, like what's the most decisive way to win, it still is an interesting puzzle. It is, especially because some of the lines, like for example, there was a line in which you were ending up a pawn up and then the king looked quite feeble for black, somewhere around on f8, going to g8, the rook still on h8, but black still had ideas of h5, getting the rook to h6, and then you still had some problems, right? Your weakness on b2, it wasn't that easy. Like I was watching it, you, you leave the bishop uh, on the long diagonal alive, it's not going to be that easy, right? But what you did, just completely finished the game pretty much on the spot yeah, it was this bishop of seven was pretty hopeless and it wasn't That's an it. easy decision yeah. because there were a lot of options and my first instinct was actually knight to e4 that's what my students going gave. for the end yes. game which yes. looks really good yes. but then i thought okay the end game he actually has the easy moves and then i still have to prove it so and my second instinct i, I was thinking about this before i took on f6 was actually queen c5 mm -hmm. and then bc4 and then i have a lot of different knight either knight e4 or rook d6 and then his king goes f8. This is probably the line that you mentioned. Exactly, yeah. But the problem is the b-file open, b2 is a bit weak, and it didn't seem 100% clear. And then I saw his bishop f7, and my first instinct was that, okay, black has like a million king moves after queen c7. And also there's this queen e7, and he plays bishop b7, takes on g2. So I, I actually did have to exert myself to see this, um, like up to knight of 5 basically, is when I, stopped mm -hmm. my, when I took on f6. I, I calculated up to knight of 5, and, and then I was satisfied. But also, you don't you feel like you don't want to sack a piece even temporarily because it's like okay, I'm winning and I should be winning with 94. I should be winning with this move, but I have to sack a piece and, and calculate. It feels like it goes against some of our instincts, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but that's basically the drilling method. Uh, I know Chuchalov also likes to do this type of exercises where you just like have to calculate long, you know, all the way until you get a winning position. 
or at least a position in which the assessment is very obvious. Like you, you can easily say, okay, this is, yeah, I'm not going to have any issues converting this one. Yeah. Um, well, you've coached quite a bit, right? Yeah. And and you've coached different levels, I guess. Like yeah. what, what's been the range of your coaching of your students range, uh, rating range? Well, I'm even going to give you the example for, from last Tuesday. I had a student that was around 20 to 50 and a student that was around 25, 50. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's so, but, already, but those are all range. very strong players in any case. Decent players. Yes. Because many of our viewers are going to be players who are maybe 1400, yes. 1200. So like, what's the lowest level that you've taught and I thought complete beginners also. Okay. So yeah. people just starting out. Yeah. And, yeah. and I guess the, the teaching methods vary wildly between strong oh, yeah, players sure. and, and weaker players. Methods, topics. I mean, everything is different. Yeah. When it comes to, uh, when it comes to teaching new students, I mean, even, even, even the nature of the student matters, right? Whether it's just like a, an adult improver that just wants to deal with it as a hobby or somebody that wants to take, you know, five classes a week. But everyone wants to get better. Treated professionally. Yes. Even, I mean, they, not everyone has the same goals, but everyone wants to improve. Nobody wants to be stuck yes. at whatever level they're stuck at. Yes. But it depends on how many classes you're taking, how much yeah. time you're putting into How much into money you it. can also invest in it. Investment is huge, yeah, in chess. Chess is not a... Especially if you want to get privates, it's not a cheap sport at well, there's, I think with ever any specialized sort of thing that you're pursuing, you want to learn at, it's not going to be cheap. Whether it's a sport, like let's say I've taken tennis lessons, okay, it really depends on the country. It very much depends on the country. But in the United States, okay, it's just expensive, especially if someone is good at something and they're willing to impart their knowledge in whatever it is. I mean, let's say I took boxing lessons. It's it's like eighty something an hour. Yeah. Um, Grandmasters charge much more than that. Yeah, yeah. Chess, I think it's even more specialized. Yes. Um, I mean, I don't know much about boxing, but I I can't like let's say compare a grandmaster title to whatever it would be in boxing. But but chess, like, there's not many grandmasters in the world. No. You're not gonna. I mean, you you sort of have your pick in the U.S. Like, there's a lot of opportunities to talk with the grandmaster, but Still, it's it's not that many overall. No, 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 absolutely not. No, but I remember in in Romania, for example, one of the best coaches um, that I took classes with at the time, let's say 2010. That's not that long time ago. I don't know what the prices were in the U.S. at that point. But sorry, which year was it? 2010. Let's say. 2010. I can tell you in the 90s. Sure. I can tell you what the prices were in the 90s. In New York. Yeah. Uh, it really depends on the person because, of course, everyone's going to market themselves differently. Yeah. But I would, I would think that even in the late 90s, people who had qualifications that they could market were charging between 75 to 150 an hour. In New York. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe not even grandmasters because there are some very notorious coaches. Like I'll just mention one of my early coaches who is very famous um, because he was portrayed in a movie, Bruce Pondolfini. Right. He was portrayed in a Hollywood movie, right? In Searching for Bobby Fischer by Ben, um, ben Kingsley. Mm-hmm. And Ben Kingsley looks nothing like him, by the way. He also, they, in the movie, he was like an Irish accent, like some sort of Irish guy, man. But, uh, but Bruce Pondolfini does not have an Irish accent at all. So anyway, that's, <laughs> that's besides the point. But he obviously got very famous because okay, if you're looking for uh, yeah. Bobby Fischer, yeah. if you're portrayed in a Hollywood movie, okay, you're going to get some, some fame from that. And I'm, I don't know exactly what he was charging, but he was charging a, a pretty uh, decent amount an hour. Of like, course. Yeah. Um, but the U.S. is also so different, yeah, because you have all this, uh, let's say, marketable and, and the whole capitalism that is very, um, yeah, it, it's very focused in the U.S., I would say. 
in Europe is completely different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the best coaches in Romania was paying around $15 for like three hours. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, I expected you to say one hour. No, <laughs> yeah, no, $15 three hours. for three <laughs> Five hours. bucks an hour, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And this was one of the best coaches. And for Romania, he was one of the most expensive ones as well, yeah. which is kind of crazy. So yeah, it, I, it, I mean, it's, very common, it's common to see like, let's say online lessons by strong grandmasters from Eastern Europe for yeah. like 20 to 30 bucks an hour advertised. Yeah. And good ones, actually. Good, good players. Good ones, yeah. Probably quite good. I, I can't speak on their coaching abilities, but good players. Um, yeah, so it, it really depends, but that's normal, right? Economies will, will vary quite a lot. Finding a coach is not easy. And that's actually something that I've noticed. A lot of people have questions about, like, how do I choose a coach? Do I stay with a coach if I don't like it? Like, how long do I stay with a coach? Uh, do I kick him out <laughs> uh, after, like, one class if I really don't like it? Or do I give him more chances? Like, how do I pick a coach is, uh, is a topic that interests a lot of people. I would and say I don't stick, have... I would say stick it out for, it. for more than one because you're not yeah. going to find someone you're, like, in love with after one hour. Probably not. It's unlikely. I mean, you still need to get time to, like, get comfortable, get to know someone... You know, also once you become like more friendly with someone, it's just a bit easier. It's easier, yeah. So, yeah, I would say stick it out for more than one lesson. But, I mean, for me, like whenever, if I'm taking lessons for whatever it is, obviously not, I mean, okay, for chess, yeah, it's also I do, I guess, take lessons, right? I do work with people. Right. But I'm speaking specifically about other things. Uh, for me, like the most important thing is that the person seems to give a fuck right that's right. like this is extremely like I, important i don't want them to be disinterested yes. even if they're very qualified and everything and they they know all everything in the world about whatever it is i i want them to actually pretend to care even if i understand they don't really care i mean it's a business arrangement sure like, For the i stop i stop paying them yeah there's a degree of caring right they, yeah. they probably care about their work to some degree but i'm not expecting them to care about me they're not going to love you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not expecting that, but just to like be engaged yeah. and, and that's what I expect. Yeah. Or yeah. that's what I, I want, maybe not expect, but if if that, I'm not feeling that, then I'm probably going to be less interested in pursuing that. I would say that's, that's yeah, that's a very good factor that you should gauge into your decision. Uh, and that's something that I want to portray to my students as well. Like whenever I'm all in during the class, I'm not on my phone, I'm not like watching some other tab, I'm just trying to be with you uh, at that time. Um, whether I feel that I need to do that or not, I'm still not going to like take my phone just because I know that I'm overly qualified and I know what to tell you next. But I still want to uh, maintain that feeling of focus. Um, and you know, you're dictating in that relationship, you're kind of dictating the amount of focus that you're putting in the task at hand, right? If you're on, if I give you a task and I'm on my phone doing something else, obviously you're going to lose a lot of focus as well. Yeah. Um, so I think the issue is also that with like chess coaching, and I, I don't know so much about coaching, but I feel like people want to like learn stuff that's like cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And the, and you as a grandmaster, you can tell them a lot of cool stuff. You can tell them about yeah, openings. Of this is the Rui Lopez, this variation, this is a sideline, this is this, this is that. This was played in the first time in 1897, 1896 and Steinitz against, uh, wait, who's playing in? Science playing in 1896. I don't know. It was a world championship match. Anyway, this is not important. <laughs> See, I don't even know. But uh, but okay, this is these are like the, the kind of things that people want um, 
wanted you to say. Was he playing Chigorin in 1896? It's possible. Maybe. My, so. my cultural understanding of world championship matches from the 1800s is very, very poor. Well, okay, 1800s. yeah. 1900s. But the thing is, like, these things don't help. These don't help someone. Yeah. You don't, you don't get stronger by having knowledge of chess history to start with. And also, for the most part, you don't get stronger by having knowledge of chess openings for, like, 99% of players. Like, what makes you stronger is being able to see tactics, mostly. Yeah, tactics is a big one. Not blundering your pieces, mostly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that for 99% of players, like, that will get you really far. And then at some point, you add in, like, understanding of which positions, like, not creating huge weaknesses. Yeah. I not, mean, having an understanding of your repertoire also matters a lot. Yeah, at, so, at some level. Yeah. But for the most part, like, I don't know exactly what rating range we're talking about, but for 99.9% .9 of players, if you just don't blunder your pieces, you'll, you'll be doing pretty well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, up to maybe like, I don't know, 1800 and seeing tactics. You need a foundation and like a very basic foundation and then tactics. If you have that, I mean, you're going to yeah. be spoiled. And then if you can actually calculate, that's huge. Yeah. Like at if you can calculate a few moves in advance, because I think from vast majority of players, they don't see beyond their, their next move. Or maybe they see their next move and then... Moves. Yeah. Some of them. Some of them. <laughs> it's... But again, they're not used to it. And, and it all comes down to spotting the moment as well. Because if you give on 1600, a position in which he has to calculate or she has to calculate, let's say four moves, they're capable of that. Yeah. yeah. But they're probably not going to spot it during the game. They're not going to spot the pattern during the game. So... Well, they also don't have the feeling for the moment. Like if you tell the them thing. this is a critical position... But having a feeling for a critical position is a much higher level thing. Yeah. And when knowing when to calculate, for example. Like, when I'm doing something which isn't chess, like let's say I'm playing, let's say I'm playing tennis and I suck. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand I'm basically a robot. I just try to memorize what to do. I try to position myself correctly and, and not fuck up the basics. Mm -hmm. And that's probably how people approach chess. Like, mm -hmm. you, you don't have an organic feeling until you're let's say maybe, I don't know, 1,800, 1,900, 2,000 player, and then you start to have a more organic feeling for chess. You're not just trying to like, um, like I imagine when I'm, when I'm playing a sport, it's like I just want to try to keep together. I'm not like falling apart completely. Mm -hmm. And that's how I imagine it is for people who are starting out in chess, that they just don't want to fall apart completely. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what happens in jiu-jitsu. Um, the first year, the first couple of years at white belt, your main task is to just survive. Like, that's what you're trying to do all the time. You're not trying to, like, set up moves uh, and try to submit your opponents, which are much better than you. No, you're just trying to survive. So it feels like it's very comparable to chess. Like, at the beginning, you're just trying to get out of the opening, not blunder all of your pieces. Survival, basically, um, in its essence. So, yeah. I find this interesting because uh, even though I'm not a coach, I do enjoy thinking about like how people improve at various levels of chess. And now there's like a huge industry for chess coaching. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's Chessable, we know about that, but chess.com, they have their lessons and there's a million chess coaches and a million instructional videos. And Gotham Chess is the, the premier chess. He's, he markets himself as a chess teacher, right? Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. internet's chess teacher. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, like everyone is trying to, to sell their chess improvement thing. Correct. Now, what 
actually helps people improve in chess is probably much more complicated. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, a lot of people are searching, yeah, for, for things, for anything that's going to, like, give them an edge, teach them something new. I mean, there's content. That's basically content uh, online. Um, so, yeah, I, I think chess cheat uh chess cheating, <laughs> chess, chess cheating. We're, we're getting there we're getting there how chess how teaching to cheat. <laughs> new new course how to teach how to cheat at chess at chess uh, i'm not sure who's going to come up with that one but yeah many people are uh qualified let's say qualified chess teaching um has evolved as well i mean it, it used to be a certain way now it's there there's a lot of moving factors that need to be taken into consideration i mean the flow of information is different, I guess. Um, I think like fundamentally, it's just the, the best thing is really, if someone wants to improve, is really to practice tactics. Yes. I mean, if you see like the more tactical uh, motifs that you are uh, exposed to, the more that pattern recognition will, uh, or at least we don't know exactly how much people will be able to assimilate this stuff, but... In theory, then the more you see, the more you'll able to uh, implement this in the board. The patterns will just kind of come to you more more naturally. So, um, of course, that doesn't always work out in practice, and everyone has a different, um, let's say, natural uh, ability to to get to store these themes subconsciously or to mm-hmm. to be able to implement this in games. But that's that's like the first thing. If I actually needed to get a player from 1500 to 2000 or 1000 to 1500 i'd probably say yeah you really want to do non-stop tactics and that's the, the most important thing and then we can get into like your openings and stuff after that but then you have an hour with them per week what do you do and they also don't want to just solve tactics while you, that's s- the you sit there and bore them so it's that's more like problem. an entertainment thing you're there to entertain like, them right? what do you do for one hour and then how do you motivate them to actually do the tactics do like three four hours of tactics every single day outside of the hour that they're spending with you well, that's okay, the question you can't, you, you can't affect their motivation i mean that's on them yes right? yes yes and no yeah. but even even handling that motivation has changed with the access to phones the access to pretty much the internet i mean in the last 15 years i think this has changed tremendously the focus the attention span i mean all of those things well Attention span, yeah, maybe people have less attention span. I, I, I can't speak to that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how phones or the internet or technology has impacted people's attention spans. I'm sure there's been a lot of research into this. I just have no insight into it. But um, speaking specifically about chess, mm-hmm. kids are obviously getting better faster. Yes. So the internet. we can't say that uh, we can't observe a negative, um, let's say, trend in terms of chess improvement Mm, mm. but okay they also have so many more resources to like learn chess quickly how did we spend the last 15 minutes talking about coaching how did we get here ah the game with wesley Mm -hmm. because we discussed um how we how i gave this to my students and then we got into coaching all right we covered coaching as well that's nice um what's next after that you played wesley and you caught him up after you won that game but then he won another game in the last round against Richie. That was the big one. Yeah, that gave you the tournament clear, victory. Clear um, task for me. I mean, you wanted to win that one. You wanted to. Yeah, like, yeah. Lanier was um, likely to draw. Yeah. If he loses, I just need to draw. So I, 
if he draws, I need to not lose. So for me, risk aversion was a major thing. Because in two scenarios, even though they're unlikely scenarios, yes. Uh, well, actually, no, sorry. Uh, one was not unlikely. That he draws is not unlikely. That's the most likely. I, I, in that case, I don't want to be too risky. In case he actually loses, which is unlikely but possible, then I also don't want to be too risky. And only in case he wins do I need to go all out. Mm -hmm. But that is not very... I mean, he's playing with black pieces. Levon is solid. Uh, two top players you ex kind of expect to draw. Yeah. So Richie was in bad shape. I thought it's natural to press, but of course not to go crazy. And I did have memories of losing against Richie with the white pieces in Vikings A 2022. Mm -hmm. So that was still kind of fresh in my memory somewhat. Uh, it, it kind of gets in your head a little bit when you lose with the white pieces against someone, for sure. So I didn't want to um, go crazy. I wanted to keep it controlled. I understood that he was definitely a bit out of shape. Mm. And... Yeah, more or less, uh, what happened was he outprepared me. He played, he played such, his uh, G6 idea. Such yeah? a bullshit line. Right? <laughs> um, but he very often does this stuff, and still he has some ideas. Yeah. He prepared up to B5, clear. He played B5 quickly. Um, so I ran some sort of prep. Black is more or less equal after B5. Still white is on the slightly better side of it, so I don't really understand like what the upside is of this line. Even if you catch your opponent out, you still kind of get slightly worse. Then he equalized, and even objectively at some point, he might have been a bit more comfortable. And I was also on low on time. I was nervous, so I wasn't like feeling great about the situation at that moment. But things turned around so quickly. Like his rook c8 was a lazy move. I thought his a few of his moves were questionable. c5 was probably the wrong decision. Things started to go wrong for him at some, at some moment. Mm, yeah, yeah. Good victory, uh, that one. And that's, again, that's been a hallmark of your chess this year. Definitely... One of the best years, um, I would say after 2018, this is obviously the next one in line. Um, would you say so? Okay, I'm talking in the last, let's say, since 2018, in the last five years. Yeah, yeah definitely, uh, definitely a good one. Yeah, and um, while you were playing, there was another tournament happening, um, Tournament of Peace. <laughs> We should probably catch up on that as well. I covered all of uh, Hans's games. That was before uh, all hell broke loose. Um, he was, I believe, six and a half out of seven. Going in the last couple, he was playing just marvelous chess. Finished on one and a half out of two. Finished eight out of nine total. Just absolutely perfect demolishing chess. And then people started talking. Um, as you might expect Sokolov was first uh Cheparinov came soon after not necessarily accused well Sokolov was like okay I, I cannot do anything against 98% uh accuracy little did he know you had 100% but and to be honest I analyzed that game I don't know if have you seen the game did I in general I follow all all the games that happen right not you, all, you remember briefly what happened? You're talking about the game against Sokolov. Against Sokolov. I, yeah. I do remember the game against Sokolov, yeah. yes. The knight g5, yeah. and then Sokolov has to go g6. He tried to bail out with knight f3, and he bails it's out. It's clearly a bad bailout. Losing. Like, your position is obviously bad. So, Sokolov yeah. made a very bad decision. Yes. Yeah. It's difficult to evaluate g6, but you definitely cannot go for the endgame. It just feels like uh, you don't want to calculate something along those lines. Uh, so, this was... A very serious mistake from yeah. his part. It, it's not even really a chess mistake. It felt a bit like 
uh, laziness or, or something like that. Uh, definitely, but it, from Hans's point of view, it was a really excellent game. We can't uh, deny that. He yeah. played um, without really any serious inaccuracies in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, Jacob Agard was also analyzing the critical moments on his Twitter. Um, he was mentioning that before Night G5, there were a couple of moves uh, that Hans could have played better. Again, I feel Night G5 was a very good practical shot. If you do play G6, which you probably have to do, uh, the position remains more or less balanced. Uh, but still, it, it looks scary. I mean, Rook H4, you have to go King H7, now you see all sorts of sacrifices. You start seeing ghosts, basically. And that's what he did. Um, bailout didn't work out. And after that, clean execution uh, from Hans. The game against Korobov in the last round completely demolished him off the board. Um, and then he tweeted that, <laughs> I think 50 years apart or something like that. It's uh, once again an American standing bravely uh, among Europeans. Uh, obviously, he was making a comparison to Bobby that uh, <laughs> draw a lot of talk as well. Um, definitely an interesting couple of past few days. A lot of people have accused him of cheating. Uh, and then the Zagreb organizers came out with a statement saying that they had indication that he might have been cheating, but nobody, let's say, pressed charges. How, how do you see that? I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't at the tournament. I mean... Did you see the photo in the trophy presentation? I mean, everybody yeah. looked so sad. Well, I don't, like, I don't know what photos, because of course, like, it's just one set. It's a split yeah. second, right? You're taking a photo. So, yeah. of course, you can you can get people in any sort of uh, um, expressions if you take a photo. Like, I don't know. I don't know how representative. I, I didn't think of much of that photo. So I don't know how representative one photo is. But, of course, they made their statement. Um, again, some not very clear language. And in general, this seems to be a case of like some people are making some veiled accusations, not using clear language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they mm-hmm. kind of trying to tiptoe between accusing and not. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to organizers, I understand players, they, okay, they're not official people. So, I mean, they're not like officially part of the organization or something. So they can say what they want. But when it comes to organization, I think let's use some clear language or or not say anything at all. That's that's my opinion. Like either say or, or don't say. It's such a dicey situation. Don't, don't kind of uh, tr- try to straddle that position in the middle where you don't accuse, but you do, or, you know. Um, I don't know. I, in general, you know, it's... Um, I prefer to speak about cheating as a general topic rather than try to talk about some individual... Um, accusations because whenever we get into this individual stuff then it mostly makes a mockery of it Mm -hmm. and doesn't lead to any sort of meaningful change like you have to um you have to protect against the possibility of cheating for everyone so you should not um allow the possibility that anyone or at least you have to minimize it as much as possible because we shouldn't be trusting people on principle like mm-hmm. we shouldn't trust you shouldn't trust me on principle it's you might have to because let's say it's difficult to stop cheating but uh, ideally you shouldn't 
be trusting my character because you don't know my character and I don't know your character and we don't know uh, Kremnik, you shouldn't trust anyone, Ikaru, basically. Magnus, or anyone's character fully. So, and everyone like fans in general or platforms and no, no I mean from organizers, from organizers, organizers. Of course, you can have your yeah. personal opinion. I can have my personal opinion. We're going to have that, but an organizer should not think, oh, this is. Uh, this person and therefore they would never cheat or this person is suspicious and therefore we need to take care. Mm. That shouldn't be the case. It should be, you have some measures in place and, and you have to think about like how someone could cheat. Organizers should think about that, especially FIDE and especially online platforms. How could someone cheat and then get ahead of it? That's the only way. Yeah, and the problem is with this particular case is we don't have a lot of information. This tournament was not... I mean, it was broadcasted on YouTube. I've seen it, but it didn't even have commentary attached to it, if I remember correctly. Like, basically, it was just a, a feed of a camera inside the playing hall, and that had a 15-minute delay. The games had a 15-minute delay. And after the game against Sokolov, I think they added another 15-minute. They made it 30-minute delay. And then they come out and say, okay, there's been indication, but nobody knows what indication means. Like, actually... Nobody knows no, it's, whether it's, there was somebody in the playing hole looking weird. I don't know. I have no idea. First of all, happening. I don't think they had spectators to start with. That's the thing. Yeah. But, uh, but okay, I, again, I don't want to like discuss one individual case because, um, well, first of all, we, we weren't there and mm. it's also not our job to... Uh, not Nobody has a lot of information about this case. Yeah, That's it, the it's not our job to like it's police individual, individual incidents that... Uh, that or accusations that people made. So this is on the organizers if they really feel that there was something that's on them to to protect against and uh, probably to do it before the tournament. That's another... Uh, not after. Exactly. And like the way it's done just feels like it's another sort of mess of uh, organizers really not doing a good job and players um, making some accusations, which, like, no, it's not going to lead to anything, uh, you know, because uh, they really need to do this before the tournament and not try to, like, single out some things that they find suspicious. That's yeah. my opinion. It's not, uh, this is not meant as, um, like, I'm, I'm not trying to focus on, on this particular case. I'm just trying to say as a general thing, it's something that people have to get ahead of that doesn't, like I, I don't even have a strong opinion on this mm -hmm. on this case, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, um, but but cheating is is an issue. That's like as a general thing, it's it's definitely an issue. I mean, it's and the problem is it's going to explode again because people are just naturally suspicious. So whichever way the wind blows on that particular day, someone will get caught up in it. Uh, it was Hikaru before with Kremnik. Mm -hmm. Then it's this tournament with Hans and the various players made some comments and tomorrow it'll be someone else yeah uh, and the, uh, that's that's the issue so um i mean kromnik definitely seems to be one of the big players let's say in this whole discussion um is you know using his statistics and things of that nature like he's definitely involved in 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 this whole uh, debacle um and the problem is it gets it touches a very weird spot, right? I mean, he's starting to get death threats and uh, like this is very, very nasty stuff, right? You don't want to get to that point. Um, okay, and this, then is, you get, this is the internet. Right? Yeah, the internet is 
whatever whenever you put yourself out on the internet you get some uh like i've gotten threats for no reason i mean uh but death threats i mean yeah like uh, he's been publishing this type of messages like i know where you are i know where you live you're going to like no of course this this is this is bad yeah this is very bad so bad i mean well that goes without saying but uh this is the internet and even before i was like very public like i think when i was like 18 i got some messages like i'm going to kill your parents really there's some weird like people are just nuts on on online yeah and uh and i wasn't even like a public figure in any way i was just like a young kid playing chess so there was absolutely no reason for this one i mean i understand if like people um now don't like what i have to say and they get upset at me okay it comes with the territory but but back then it was just ridiculous Uh, so of course that that's very bad um the whole statistics thing is uh, is of course funny now because we have both sides saying these numbers say this and the, these numbers say that both sides mm-hmm. are well i don't know if i call them sides but different people are saying well i have these numbers that prove that uh, this person cheated i have these numbers that prove that nobody is cheating and and so on and i find it kind of funny because of course if you play around with the numbers you can prove anything correct i saw um that there was a statistician who who compared over the board ratings to online ratings and found that they were consistent mm-hmm. showing that there was nothing very irregular and i think this is the guy that um danny also mentioned and chess.com mentioned and um i think he was trying to kind of fight off what we said that people got more suspicious after covid and yeah it was basically yeah, was making the, the point that no, they haven't. Yeah, this was the idea that things have stayed consistent. There has yeah. been no, um, nothing looks super weird now that didn't look super weird then, right? So things look like they've remained kind of constant. Mm-hmm. And people who perform well over the board, they perform well online. Uh, I think that this is like easily refuted, like very easily for for a number of reasons. To start with, it is actually a number of consistent players who play well in prize events online. It, it actually like it's it's not too difficult to dig through like who the prize winners are. I mean, I'm, I'm among them. I'm not like near the top, let's say, but I'm among the prize winners, and uh, and you have some guys who are top players among the like the big prize winners, like Hikaru, Ferruja, Magnus, one of the big, yeah, Magnus. Uh, I mean, he won quite a few since he started playing. Andraken is one of the, let's say, I don't know if you call, call him a top player now, but he's been one of the like 27, 30 guys for a decade plus. So he, let's say he's one of the other big winners. So you do have some big winners. The question is, are they also big winners in terms of on over the board chess? Of course, when we speak about Magnus Icaro, it's like it's a pretty obvious, right? These are big winners over the board as well. Uh, when it comes to like over the board ratings, you really do have to look into what an over the board rating is. And I can, I can tell you a few reasons why. Like when it comes to over-the-board ratings, uh, let's say someone has a rating that is 2,700. But that rating was achieved when the K factor was higher. Because blitz and rapid rating K factors were at some point K20 rather mm-hmm. than K10. Mm-hmm. So let's say at some point it was very easy to, if you have a good tournament, gain 100 points. Mm-hmm. And there are also people who have sat on their ratings for years and years. And so if someone achieves a rating because a long time ago they gained 100 points 
And then in the last three, four years, they haven't played much at all. Then those rating becomes a bit less meaningful. Yeah. So I started to think about like what a meaningful rating is because of course now people are using ratings and numbers to justify or to explain all sorts of things. Like online ratings, chess.com ratings, I feel are more or less meaningless. That's interesting. Okay. Like this was with, with Kremnik. He was like, uh, he used these numbers like uh, Hikaru's this rating and he's beating these rating people. I don't know what a 2900 is on chess.com. Well, to give you an example, because um, I looked at all of his opponents in real life. Um, one of them had a 2430 blitz rating. One of them had a 2080 blitz rating. Um, and that's exactly what you were saying. Some people have sit on the rating. Some people have actually not played enough yeah. blitz tournaments or rapid yeah. uh, tournaments because, you know, classical is still, let's say, um, the most accustomed um, time control. But yes, the point being, yeah, for I'll just give chess.com are not reliable. Chess.com ratings are definitely not reliable. Yeah, yeah. This is what I, one thing I'm saying. And to to go to your point, let's say the young talented kids, mm-hmm. at some point we're all like 1800 blitz and rapid ratings, like Prague, Prague Nihal, was 1800 like they were they were 2650 <laughs> to 2700 yeah. in classical, and they just didn't play blitz and rapid chess. Yeah. So you can throw these ratings out of the window, and I don't know who you're talking about with the 2080, but it's um, uh, of course I would rather. Like look at the FIDE ratings and see if those are reliable. Then look at the chess.com ratings because I think we know those can't be reliable. Mm. And the reason, not it's not that I'm saying that this person doesn't deserve their rating. I'm just saying that when it comes to blitz chess on chess.com, we're not talking about one consistent time control. We're talking about all sorts of things. We're talking about three minute with no increment. We're talking about five minute with two seconds increment. We're talking about this and that. And also we're talking about players who can curate their opponents. Mm. So when you play over the board, you cannot choose your opponents. You get who you get. You can try to choose your tournaments, and sometimes people do manipulate their ratings. There are some famous cases of people who, let's say, get 2,800 in Blitz FIDE because they beat 1,800s. They're a grandmaster, and they beat 1,800s 15 out of 15 mm-hmm. games, and they do this for years. They get 0.8 every yeah. single win. And they just like slowly accumulate rating. Uh, but it's much, it's much less easy to do this over the board than to do this online, where I can literally just pick my opponent. Uh, they call it farming, right? Like we yep. see Hikaru beats the same guy 18 times in a row. Yeah. And it's not they have because... have a list of players that are uh, active. They challenge somebody that they know they can yeah, beat easily. And, and then, then they go farm them. Yeah. And then this Hikaru, who is a top Blitz player, decides I'm going to beat this guy uh, a million times in a row and slowly take take his rating a little bit and he gets 33 whatever uh so hikaru is 3350 and ali reza is 3050 now hikaru is let's say a more successful blitz player than ali reza but he is not 300 points higher of course so we understand that the reason this happened is because hikaru is gaming the system in some way by farming some people it's not it's not against the rules there's nothing wrong with it it's for entertainment anyway it's for it's, it's to entertain his viewers and, and Ali Reza doesn't do this. But the result is that we get two ratings that are more or less not very meaningful because they're very close in strength. Yes. So they're not 300 points apart in strength. That's, that's all I'm saying about chess.com ratings. And, and this, he also plays much more than everybody else. So, and the swings are much more often, right? He can go 3350, but he also comes back to like 3200. Yeah. Ali Reza also 
goes from 3,050 to 3,200 occasionally, but he plays way less than Hikaru. Well, so he probably only plays like Title Tuesday for the most part. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I can give you an extreme example. There's some guy who is like 3,350 in bullet mm-hmm. on chess.com. It's like impossible. The guy's not even titled. I don't even, I don't know if he's not titled. It doesn't show a title. Maybe he is a title player. But for all we know, this is not a professional player. So... Why is he beating all these amazing players like Danya and Hikaru and whoever else he's beating them in rating? Well, it's because he plays 10-second chess, mm. which, let's be honest here, it's actually not chess. 10-second yes. is literally just moving as fast as you can. I, actually, I watched some games between him and Andrew Tang. It's like playing a video game. How fast can you move the pieces? And they mostly blunder all their pieces very quickly. Sometimes they actually do play impressively well for 10 seconds. I could never do what they do, but it's not chess. Like, yeah. let's, let's be real. Yeah. So... When we talk about chess.com ratings, we're talking about all sorts of things. We're talking about 10-second chess. We're talking about 10-minute chess. And it really doesn't have meaning, which means that the streaks don't have meaning, which means that we can't read into them. It's just, that's the truth. Um, I'm not saying that we should trust anyone on principle, Hikaru or Magnus or whoever or me or Ali Reza, Um, although I do trust them. I'm just... but. We can't go reading into numbers that have no meaning. And likewise, we can't read into FIDE ratings if someone hasn't played in the last three years. So everything has to be looked at individually. It's not something that you can just start crunching numbers and, and you're going to find an answer. Uh, but there is absolutely no way to deny that cheating does occur. And I think it's pretty significant online. And uh, yeah. Did you sign the petition? Kramnik's? Yes. No, I mean, I, okay, if they want to investigate, if they don't want to, I don't care. I mean, um, I didn't sign the, the petition, no. I Like my name, I think, appears dozens of times. Probably. But I didn't. Um, I, I saw Magnus was there. Uh, Hans was there. Yeah. yeah. Well, this petition, of course, definitely. is uh, unfortunately not really meaningful because uh, anyone can sign it and people don't have to be serious about it. But Kremnik is generally correct that we should not trust anyone on principle and we should take a like firmer approach to cheating. Those general things I definitely agree with him on. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I just don't think he went rightly uh, in the direction that he should have been by accusing. And again, he says that he hasn't accused Hikaru. So let, let's just put that out there. He never said that he accuses Hikaru directly again. He said some things are interesting. Then people started looking at what those things were, and they found Hikaru's name um, around there. So, okay, but let's yeah. like also, I don't know. It's uh, kind of tiptoeing around it. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. No it's reason. like also people start to mock the stuff like the words "interesting" indication. Yeah, so. <laughs> like in general, I think you should also be clear cut with if you're when you saying someone. Sued. Well, you don't have to do it publicly. You can also do it privately if you want. I mean, you don't have to like take things to Twitter as well. Um, Like all the people I've been suspicious of, I've I've only um, uh, like spoken to people internally. Yeah. Like what? Let's say I have a suspicion on Chess.com. I've I've uh, spoken to someone who I feel can like um, either investigate them or. Uh, is in charge of like their anti-cheating or, or whatever. So 
I'd rather, and I think that anyone can can but do. But you this. have access. You have access to those. No, people. but you can put a report in. I mean, they they look at the reports. Um, yeah, of course, I know people personally as well, so I can talk yeah. to them and discuss if uh, if my suspicions are overblown or because, of course, I've been suspicious wrongly at times, and I've been suspicious correctly at times. I mean, it goes both ways. Um, yeah, and that's kind of where Kramnik is coming from, and that's what he said. He said that he expressed this, um, um, these suspicions in private to Chess.com, and he did not get a response, a direct response, so now he has to go public. That's basically how it all came to be, more or less. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very sticky situation. Um, I'm seeing it popping up in the press, in the international press as well. I think the Independent, um, the For Forbes has also picked up the story. So there's a lot of yeah uh, media interest, for sure. There's always media interest whenever we're talking about cheating. It seems like it's Hans cheating. Now it's the big... Vladimir and, and, and Hikaru situation. We'll see how it develops. Okay, I mean, the Hikaru situation will not develop. <laughs> Probably not. I can already, I can tell you. I, I, I don't need to have a crystal ball to tell you the future of the story is that nothing will develop. No, of course not. But then you have, uh, you know, Vladimir saying that he's going to sue Chess.com if they don't issue an official apology. Uh, and I don't, I haven't seen the official apology um, or Chess.com retracting their statement. I haven't seen that. So you, I have no idea where this is going to go, to be honest. Yeah, like I played Chess for a long time and I, I never really remember lawyers getting involved until exactly. last year. <laughs> yes. Now lawyers are like There's constantly being involved. And There's a lot of suing. Like... There was a lawyer that made a statement about the, the well, Hans's lawyer made a statement about the tournament of peace, basically defending his client, right? What what do you expect? Um, and now, well, there was a lawsuit last year, and now another lawsuit is being proposed. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> like, we should probably try to resolve things without lawyers for that's, the most part. That would be a good thing. That would be nice, yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, the situation that has been happening, has been developing in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but of course, let's let's talk the big question of Canada's spots as well, because obviously the Sinkfield Cup has been extremely consequential. There were a lot of calculations uh, being drawn. Um, who's, who's on top right now? So obviously you're going to get... Which spot are you getting? You're getting the World Cup. I get the World Cup. I will tell you... Um... Anish still is ahead in the Grand Prix points. Yeah. The Grand whatever. How I'll, do you I'll tell that? you. I'll tell you the the current the circuit. situation. Yeah. The circuit. The FIDE circuit. FIDE circuit. So Not yeah, if Prix. things ended at this second, Anish qualifies for candidates, and Wesley qualifies for candidates by rating. By rating. And Wesley's one point ahead of Dominguez by rating. One point ahead, but Lanier also is ineligible if things end right now. Correct. He still has to play in that. So we'll get into that in a second. But first, the FIDE circuit is Anish currently. Who can catch him? Well, unless Wesley plays another event, Wesley cannot catch him. And I believe we can assume that Wesley will not be playing anything else this year. Really? What I about think the he has World Rapid and Blitz? I think he said he's not planning on playing. But now that he's not certain about the rating spot, will he go to play the World Rapid and Blitz? Is the question. I'm actually not sure he cares. <laughs> Like, I, I don't know. I, he must care. My I assumption mean, would be that he's not going to play anything else. 
and he will potentially get the rating spot. Okay. I would still give him a good chance of getting the rating spot. A very good chance. But uh, I don't think he'll take the Fide Circuit spot. But he could. He would actually be the closest to Anish in terms of trying to uh, overtake him if he tried. But I don't think he'll try. The only player that is, let's say, realistically close to him in terms of the rating spot is Dominguez. I don't think anybody else playing tournaments right now is anywhere close to him. I think you're forgetting one person, potentially. Who? I think I think Parham Maksudlu has a chance at the oh, rating spot. Okay. And he's also playing tournaments. What is he's, he playing? Is he playing Sunway? Sunway Siege? There is an event that will happen in India. And I believe Parham plays. And also, I believe Gukesh plays. Oh. Well, and Gukesh also, is playing the, I believe Arjun uh, plays. Really? I think it's actually a pretty relevant event for Kofide Kansas qualification. Has this been announced? No. Okay. But it's going to happen. And so, okay. Let, let's, so at the moment, Anish qualifies, Wesley qualifies. Now, who can catch Anish besides Wesley? So there's Gukesh. Gukesh. Gukesh, is, Gukesh is less than five points away. He needs to replace a result uh, with more than five points. So his lowest result is currently 12.22 points. Mm -hmm. So he needs anything that is 17 or more points. Mm -hmm. He's currently playing an event that will give him enough points to he overtake needs to win it. Yeah, the London Classic, which he's playing currently, and he's... After one round, he's in the lead. It's only one round. But if he wins that, he actually overtakes Anish, and then Anish has to try to fight back. So we'll actually find out about Gukesh within the next 10 days. Like, the tournament will be over in 10 days. That's the first tournament, the London Chess Classic. Yeah. Then you mentioned that he might play another one. Yeah. But yes, we will get the first piece of the puzzle after the London Chess Classic. Yeah, basically, Anish is like... he has. He's waiting. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like in a zombie movie. <laughs> And the first attack is coming from the left side, and it's the London Classic. And after that, if he, if he manages to dodge that one, then another attack will come, and he has to dodge that one off. The Indian attack. Yeah, then, then there's another tournament that's happening, and uh, Gukesh has another chance there. If he wins that tournament, he again will qualify for, for candidates, or at least he'll overtake Anish in the race. And I think Arjun also plays. So Arjun is actually a dark horse because if he has a really strong finish at the end of the year, he can suddenly qualify. He has to get two events that are, I think, uh, 20 more points because he has to make up... 20 total. Uh, he has to... Yeah, he has to make up 13 points. No, less than 13, sorry. Uh, no, yeah, about, about 13 points. I think a bit less than 13. Mm. And is, is Arjun at all in the rating discussion? No, not really. No. So Maksudulu is the zombie attack that's coming for Wesley during the Indian event. And Lanier. And Lanier, yes. Lanier is coming from, we don't know exactly where he's going to play. Parham will just try to gain rating. Whatever rating he will need, Yes, he'll definitely try. He's 27.42 currently. Mm -hmm. Right now, the, the aim, the rating you need is 27.58 to pass Wesley. That's a lot. 27.58. Passes. Yeah, it's a lot for Parham. That's a lot. It's not a lot for Lanier. For Lanier, it's two points. Lanier needs to play an event, and it's unclear where he needs to play it, but he we actually know which events he could play. Outside of the US, supposedly. Well, he could also challenge Fide because 
FIDE made a clarification on the regulation at the last minute, I don't think they have the legal right to do so. I think that Lanier could even contest that and play in the U.S. If he plays in the U.S., he has a few options. Um, like he has the Spice Cup, that's mm -hmm. an option. The North American Open is an option. That finishes on 30th. He would have to ask them to send it in like right on time, right. which they might do if he requests it, but normally they wouldn't do. Normally it wouldn't even get rated for the list and he would be out of luck, but, but he could probably ask that. Uh, or he could play the Sit. Sitges. Sitges, yeah. Open. Sitges, I don't know. Which is a really strong open in Spain. Yeah. You could travel to Spain for that. There might be some other tournaments, but those are the kind of obvious candidates for him. The question is, do they have to be full events? Can he win a couple of games, gain two rating points, and then we draw? I don't think he would be able to play two games. I think maybe he would have to play half the event. More than half, half. Or more, more than, than half. half. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the, that has to be half. clarified. I'm not sure, but... Um, I don't think just like playing two games would suffice. No, I don't right. think so. Well, if anybody has any clue, let us know. <laughs> yeah, this in is a very interesting race, of course. I, I think in general, it shows that the system has some issue because we shouldn't have people scrambling to play events last minute to increase their chance. Yeah. Like this shouldn't be about, uh, okay, I just need to gain two rating points. Like the rating, the rating list should be an average, a weighted average over the last, let's say, half year. Or it could be the last nine months. You can decide what it is, but it should not be one rating list. This leads to a silly situation where one guy just last minute tries to overtake another guy. And it's also open to potential, if someone decides to, potential rating fixing. So that's we don't have any indication that will happen, but you one rating list, you have you have that that risk. Um, if you have like an average of the last six months, let's say, people can't possibly fix that because they actually have to play events where they risk their rating, like the um, World Cup, mm -hmm. the Grand Swiss, and so on. Otherwise, they minimize your chances. Yeah. Of course, you can always find people who will try to game the system in one way or another, but uh, one rating list is a terrible idea. It just, it really should not exist. Um, they should either do away with the rating spot or make it an average of... And I know people say that if you look at past results, then... Like, Ogard is very often saying that ratings are an indication of past results. And that's true. Like, you can have someone who had good results one year ago, and now that doesn't indicate their strength today. But it's better than just having one list, when, which is just an indication that you had one good event, for example. Mm. Uh, but anyway, uh, Lanier, he, he has a very good shot now. It's an unexpected shot, but he has a very good shot now. Uh, Wesley has a good shot. Anish has a good shot. Gukesh has a good shot. And Arjun has an outside shot. And Parham has an outside shot. That's my take on it. Yeah, no, it's it's a very comprehensive take. And uh, just to add to that, Lanier is the one that seems most willing to go for it. Um, as and, you mentioned, and Wesley is like, seems not to care somehow. Um whether he's going to be displaced by linear and then he's still going to have some time to play those type of tournaments to potentially gain a point or two that he needs to come back. We'll see if he's going to be willing to do those type of uh, steps, take those type of steps. Um, well, Gukesh yeah. is also trying very hard. It's very Gukesh good, as right? well. He's trying... But he's the Grand Prix points. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to go for Anish. He can't get rating. Yeah. I mean, he has gained 50 points. Yeah. He's, he's going for Anish. Gukesh is well, against 40 Anish, points, 40 more points. or less. Gukesh and Anish uh, cannot both being the candidates 
Right. Unless Anish suddenly plays an event and gains rating, but I don't think that's happening. Or he gains, he plays the World Rapid and Blitz. No, but still, they wouldn't be both be able to play. I'm saying they both can't be in Kansas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless Anish takes the rating spot, but he would have to play a classical event. Yeah, that's not happening. Probably not happening. Actually, if I was him, I would do it. You would? Well, of course. I mean, yeah, I that makes maximize sense, my actually. chances, no? Yeah, no, that makes Like, there's no sense. downside for him. So he, he should risk. be seeking some invitations right now. If I was him, I would just play in Citrus, no? Isn't he playing in Champions Chester? No. Oh, he's not? Definitely not. Okay. But okay, that's a personal decision. I, I understand you don't want to like play an open tournament when you already have a busy, busy schedule, but that's just my... I personally would do that, yeah. No, but Anish, at the same time, he really cares about the World Championship cycle. Like, yeah, yeah, that's sure. probably one of his main motivations in chess right now. Um, On the other hand, gaining 10 points in an open tournament? That's... It's a, it's a very long shot, but I would still give it a... Sh- I would still give it a shot because... It's huge, yeah. Like, what's the... Um, What's the rating gap? 27.49? Okay. He only has to gain 9 points. But in an open tournament, at his rating, it's not easy. Plus 5? I don't know what it is. Plus but... 4, plus 5 in Sunway Siege, let's say. Yeah. No, it's it's not easy. But you're not risking anything at the same time. I mean, you might lose some rating points. It's not going to affect your Grand Swiss Grand Prix. I always say Grand Prix. It's not the FIDA circuit, I guess. You know what's <laughs> interesting? So... Anish lost to Lanier, is that correct? Yes. Remember. He, lost he played to G3. Yeah. If Anish had drawn that game, he would actually be behind in the circuit race, behind Wesley. What? <laughs> because, because Lanier went to plus one. And then Wesley would uh, gain oh, sorry, more points. Lanier yeah. went to plus two, and, yeah. which means that he gets second place and Wesley gets third place, Yeah. which pushes Wesley's points down for this tournament. So... Yeah. The system is obviously a little bit faulty. Yeah, he was making that point. He was like, it comes down to potentially me needing to lose in the last round so that Wesley doesn't gain as many points. His last he round was, was irrelevant. It's interesting. Maybe not the last round or like one of... He, well, he didn't said know. about me, right? He said like I think maybe so. it's better I to think lose so. to me. Which didn't make a lot of sense to me, but... No, it did. But I helped him out by winning the last round against Richie. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. I, I, I held him out by winning you, you against Wesley. Against Wesley. Wesley yeah. Yeah. If I had drawn that game, then he would have actually been in a tight spot. Hmm. All right. Of course, you don't want to lose anyway. Like Predictions. Yeah. Who do you think is going to make it to the candidates? Um, I'm actually, like the exciting one, the, the content answer, the content pick is Parham and Gukash. Okay. The boring and likely pick is Wesley and Anish. But I would actually say that it's not like it. It's less than fifty percent chance that Wesley and Anish both make it. I would say one of them will be overtaken, and I think Anish is the most likely to be overtaken. I think Gukesh and Wesley. I think Gukesh and Wesley is a very very likely pick. Yeah, that's my pick. Yeah, that's probably the the most equity you'd get was from from those two picks. Yeah, especially now that you tell me there's a new Indian tournament coming up, which I had no idea about. But it, you have to win a tournament. It's still like what's What's Gukesh's chance to win the London Classic? Let's just give him... He's not the highest rated. Vidyukov is. Hans is on a hot streak. Hans is playing, all right? Yes. Uh, there's other people who could win, like Mickey is leading the tournament with Gukesh. Yes. So what's realistically Gukesh's chance? 15%? 20 That's high. That's high. Yeah. 20 I would say high. 15, max. Max. Okay, let's say 15, because it's a, a lot of players could win, right? Max, yeah. Uh, 
what's his chance of winning the other one? It's going to be actually like a 27, 30 or 20 average tournament. Less than that. Yeah. yeah. So what's his chance? Less, less than Anish, no? I think he's a streaky enough player that he's going to be able to, to win one of these events. I, I'm, I'm going with London Chess Classic. But like by your own math, you did give him a low chance. Right, right. So something is... No, this is just a gut feeling. Yeah. It's just a gut feeling. I actually have the same gut feeling. It's just a gut feeling. But I I don't know what the likelihood is. Yeah. Uh, And then there is the chance that someone does really well in World Rapid Blitz. And it could be anyone. Let's just say that some people might decide to play the World Rapid Blitz in the last moment. I think that like they all should play it. I think Anish will play it, Arjun will play it, and Gukesh will play it. It's but Wesley might not. Wesley won't play it. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> because why wouldn't they play it? First of all, if you're in India, it's actually not such a difficult trip. Right. Uh, two flights, probably like Dubai, Samarkand. You have a connection like that. Now we're talking about connections to summer content. You know how Again? many messages I got? <laughs> Again? I got so many messages from people like, you should come, it's, no, it's I was easy. looking through the flights, it's just ridiculous. From St. Louis, like 4,000. Actually 4,000. Right yeah, now. I told you. Yeah. No, but people were saying, um, well, you just go from New York. New York, Tashkent, direct flight, then a train. And that's true. Mm. And it's a, for economy, $800 flight, New York to Tashkent. One easy way. Enough. One way. It's uh, yeah, probably one, around one, one like 2,000 back and yeah, forth. Yeah, let's say one way. Um, so yeah, easy enough, right? The That's problem is, of course, that people don't think that it's not necessarily easy to get to New York. I mean, we do have a direct flight from St. Louis to New York, but the flight goes to LaGuardia, mm-hmm. and LaGuardia does not go to Tashkent. Okay. JFK goes to Tashkent, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, that's a trip. That's like an hour-long trip between airports. No, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, okay, people, of course, tend to like oversimplify these things. In travel, you, it's, not, it's not like, okay, yeah, this part of the trip is easy, and then I take a five-hour train ride, which, yeah, it's maybe not the most difficult thing, but uh, overall, yeah, it's a tough trip. I, I know I spoke to some of the... Uh, well, I spoke to someone who was going from St. Louis. I know how he's making the trip with some of the other players from St. Louis. Mm. It's, they go to Chicago, Chicago, they go to Istanbul, Istanbul to Samarkand, direct flight. Mm. And so you, they drive to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you can fly to Chicago, but for whatever reason they felt logistically. It's like a four hour drive. Yeah. And, it, and it's a 30 minute flight. Yeah. On the other hand, with the flight, if you have a delay, then you get screwed. And it, you can be delayed, right? Yeah. So you take the drive to minimize that risk. That's a yeah, four to five hour drive. Then you take the flight to Istanbul. That's a 12 hour flight, I believe. Might be a bit off, but I think it's a 12 hour flight. Mm-hmm. Then you're gonna have a layover for sure. And then you go Istanbul Samarkand, which is probably another like four and a half, five hour flight. Mm-hmm. Might be off, but... Uh, and the total trip, he told me, is... Without the drive, 24 hours one way, 20 hours the other way. So 25 to 30 hour trip, unless you actually get into some trouble, delays or, or so on. Anyway, that's... <laughs> uh, Our second rant <laughs> okay. about Samarkand. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's interesting because, of course, for chess players, like travel is a huge part of it. Yeah. So we are looking at flights pretty often. And 
Um, and flights can be like, there are some trips that are really complicated. Some trips that are straightforward, some that are not so straightforward. Yep. No, I think, um, yeah, I, we covered a lot of ground today. Uh, good to, uh, congrats once again. Good to have you back. We're, we're going to Toronto in just a week. We'll cover that as well. We're actually planning a lot of fun stuff in Toronto. 10 days there. That should be fun. We also have, we have a big one coming up. We have Gary tomorrow. Um, so that should be fun. Big Gary. The, the goat. Well, it's one. it's a question, but definitely one, one of, of the, the biggest. Con- he's like, the I feel like there's, there's two uh, contenders for goat at the moment. Big contenders. And Gary, I still think Gary would take it with his accomplishments. I mean, it's just Gary had too many accomplishments, just too many. I mean, he had a lot. But it's a question. Some people will disagree with that statement. Yeah. Some people will say Magnus. Yeah. And some people will also say Fisher. But I think that that's less. I, I still, I still think it's between Gary and Magnus. I mean, Fisher is, of course, number three for sure. Like, we can't overstate his greatness. But his reign was that's the thing. short. Duration. Yeah. yeah. Duration is a big one. And longevity is, I think, a very important factor. Yes, absolutely. Um, merch. Talk about the merch, Fabi. Yeah, I talked about the merch a lot. Well, you have uh, you have one of our shirts. Buckhouse with the boys. That's your favorite, right? I like this. I like the C two. Like actually, I like this one. I like the C two. Um, the logo one. Yeah, I I I think that the merch is nice. I'm not just saying this because I'm I'm not trying to sell stuff. Like I'm not a salesman, but it actually is a nice shirt. Like it's a very very comfortable. And looks pretty nice, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I uh, I think all the designs are pretty good. Not only that, in fact, the most bought right now on the website is the signature one, the one that has uh, the design on the back as well, and the uh, pocket logo. Uh, not our logo, one of our designs, but not our official logo. So that's a cool one as well. And we have mugs. I ordered mugs are a couple good. of mugs for you as well. Mugs are very good. Next time, it's very important to drink tea for your health, and you need a good mug for that. And I also got the cat sweater. Cats are also cat sweater. It's interesting. Did you notice that it looks like your cat? Uh, Does it? I need to have. I need to have a second look. Yes, magic. I need to have a second look. Yeah, and we put your glasses on it. <laughs> so it looks like your cat and it has your glasses on it. But yeah, it's uh I, I like the merch. I like the merch. I think that we also need to get a, a goat something, goat shirt, goat uh hoodie, maybe. Okay. Goats are important. They're um kind creatures. Do you actually know if they're kind? I don't know if they're kind, but there's a lot of goats. Some are bound to be kind. Some are, some live in the mountain and they're probably more aggressive. Generally, if I would meet a goat on the street, I would not approach it. Or if I would approach it, I would approach it cautiously. I wouldn't pet the You're goat. You're not meeting a not... goat on the street. How are you meeting a goat on the street? What is the scenario where a goat is on the street? So I've been to Tenerife recently and they have this nice mountainside yeah. to the island. And there were some goats. That's on the street. That's the and mountain. You... Yeah, I guess so. Goats but there like, were like streets. Goats on like mountains. mountains, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mountain goats. Mountain goats, yeah. But 
but I would not think of petting a goat, for example. I don't know if I would touch a wild goat. They could. They yeah, you never know. You. They will come at you. They but they horse. also have these like tiny pygmy goats, right? That are definitely very friendly. I'm not sure about friendly, but probably harmless. They're harmless. Well, they're definitely yeah. harmless, but friendly, yeah. It's, it's a question. Any case, goats are quite good. Cease dash squared dot shop. Go get your merch and represent. I'm actually very, very excited about that because a lot of people have told us in Discord that they just put their orders in and they're going to represent. We're going to do that. Um, follow us on Instagram. Follow us on, we have a new Facebook page. While you were playing Sinful Cup, we even created a Facebook page. Incredible. We have everything right now. So go follow us pretty much everywhere. Anyway, that's about it for today. Let's go get ready for Gary. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Cheers.